fascinating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. A wonderful Wednesday to you. It's the 17th of January, 2024. So glad you're with me once more for another episode, hopefully a great episode. I'm really excited about this. The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149 is the number to call, 888-914-9149. So our listener line sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance. So much to talk about today. We're going to talk about defeating your Goliaths. If you went to Mass today, today's the feast day of St. Anthony of the Desert. Love this guy too. We'll talk about him as well. About the first reading, David against Goliath, classic battle. And we're going to talk about how this is really about the true God versus the so-called gods, small g gods, and there's a lot of those of this world. Plus, how do you defeat the big, wild problems in your life, the big, hairy problems like Goliath? Well, we're going to show you how to do that as well, make better decisions about that. And speaking of, of big, hairy beasts sometimes, have you heard about the Chicago rat hole now now when we're talking about great tourist destinations in chicago i love chicago the millennial bean navy pier the 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 tower formerly known as the sears tower the willis tower all of that stuff the field museum those are not the areas of attention right now we're talking about the rat hole chicago's quirky new tourist destination i will sort of virtually take you there later in the show so beware beware but uh, do call in, 888-914-9149, if you want to comment on any of the fun stuff that we're going to be talking about on this show. You can also follow me on the X app, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And you can send me a question, a comment, show idea, become a shadow producer. The email address is kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. Well, as I mentioned off the top... Um, First reading today, I love this reading, and this this is just so so great. It's David against Goliath, and here's how it all kind of shook down. This is in First Samuel chapter 17. David spoke to Saul, King Saul, of course, and of course David became. He kind of took his place. David spoke to Saul, "Let your Majesty not lose courage. I am at your service. I am at your service to go and fight this Philistine." But Saul answered David. You cannot go up against this Philistine and fight with him, for you are only a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. David continued, The Lord who delivered me from the claws of the lion and the bear will also keep me safe from the clutches of this Philistine. Saul answered David, Go, the Lord will be with you. Then, staff in hand, David selected five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in the pocket of his shepherd's bag. With his sling also ready to hand, he approached the Philistine. With his shield-bearer marching before him, the Philistine also advanced closer and closer to David. When he had sized David up and seen that he was youthful and ruddy and handsome in appearance, the Philistine held David in contempt. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come against me with a staff? Then the Philistine cursed David by his gods and said to him, Come here to me, and I will leave your flesh for the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David answered him, You come against me with sword and spear and scimitar, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, that you have insulted. Today the Lord shall deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down and cut off your head. 
This very day I will leave your corpse and the corpses of the Philistine army for the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Thus the whole land shall learn that Israel has a God. All this multitude, too, shall learn that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he shall deliver you into our hands. The Philistine then moved to meet David at close quarters, while David ran quickly toward the battle line in the direction of the Philistine. David put his hand into the bag and took out a stone, hurled it with the sling, and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone embedded itself in his brow, and he fell prostrate on the ground. Thus David overcame the Philistine with sling and stone. He struck the Philistine mortally and did it without a sword. Then David ran and stood over him with the Philistine's own sword, which he drew from its sheath. He dispatched him and cut off his head. Man, it just doesn't get any better than this. This is David against Goliath, the Philistine champion of Gath. Well, he wasn't much of a champ when it was all over, I'll tell you that. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. But, But really, David understood something very, very important here. That the battle was really the Lord's. And I read an interesting piece on this. And um, this author is basically saying that, look, we, we know that this has become kind of a cultural trope, the David versus Goliath cliche. We see this a lot in sports where you know, there's a huge upset that's pulled. It's a David versus Goliath matchup. And really, whenever the David versus Goliath comparison is brought up, it's about some, somebody or, or a team being physically inferior to their opponent. And how can a physically inferior opponent beat a physically superior opponent? But that's not really the point of this account. This was truly a spiritual battle, and David understood this really, really well. So the Philistine, think about what he says to, to David. Think about what Goliath says to David. He says, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks, you know, with your little staff? Come on, it's like a toothpick to me. And it says the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Now, these are the, the false gods of the Philistines, of course, and they had a whole bunch of them that they, that they worshipped. And they were also, by the way, really one of the things that made the Philistines so dangerous in the region was that they were really, really they were expert iron workers. So when it talks about his scimitar, when it talks about his spear, I mean, this, was, this is heavy-duty equipment. And it says the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And, and, and even though, no, he, he might have been sort of using the name, names of his gods, small g gods, to curse David. But at the end of the day, he wasn't really depending on them. He was depending on himself. Superior size, superior strength. He's like, I'm going to crush this guy. So he, he didn't think he was actually going to win by the power of his gods, but rather through his own strength, his own dominance. But, but David, he knows, and he's very, very clear about this, that this is a battle between the one true and living God, the God of Israel, and all of the false gods of, of the pagans. And so this is what it says in 1 Samuel 17, 26. David says, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should defy the armies of the living God. You know, all the soldiers were terrified of Goliath. It's like, who is this guy? He is nothing compared to Almighty God. And that's why David said, look, the, the same Lord that delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear as a shepherd boy, I wasn't afraid of those creatures. I'm certainly not afraid of this guy. God, the same God will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. So what was going on here essentially is that David is trusting 
in Almighty God for the victory. Essentially, Goliath's He's essentially trusting in himself, and the, the 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 names of the gods that he's using, he's using them in vain. They're not real gods, anyways. They're at best demons in disguise. The gods of the Gentiles are demons. That's what the Old Testament says. So that's quite possible. But nonetheless, he's not even using them. He thinks he can do it all on his own. So it's not really so much a battle of David versus Goliath, but it's the one true and living God versus all the false gods of the world, and that's exactly why. David won, because God won. And he did that, as the text says, so that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. So it's kind of interesting, because this author was saying, the same kind of thing can happen to us today, because... In a, in a sense, as Catholic Christians, we're kind of trying to live out our faith in the world. And, and the pagans among us, the pagans around us, who are not sincerely looking for God, they can kind of curse us, if you will, by their own small g gods when we don't want to live by their standards, when we don't want to fall down at the false altars of these false gods. And it could be the god of wealth, it could be the god of fame, it could be the god of worldly success, quote-unquote. And, you know, unrestrained sensuality, uh, living life away and apart from the, the commands and the standards of God in, in so many different areas of life. That, that's, that's the real battle. So, so people may curse us as well. We refuse to do this. We refuse to live the way that they do. And sometimes to the rest of the world, we're going to seem foolish, the choices that we make. Um, we oh man my 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 kid's a promising hockey player but i i'm not going to put him in this tournament because he will miss sunday mass and there's no other time we can go to mass it's it's an important feast day we are going to worship god that's crazy what about his future career what about the nhl or or hey i, I i'm going to sacrifice potentially making more money because i don't want to commit an ethical violation i don't want to pull so much overtime that I'm going to actually not see my family and I'm going to fall down in this area of life. I'm not going to commit this sin that only God would see, but he would see it. He would see it, even if no human being is aware of it. I'm not going to invoke the name of the one true and living God in vain. Just like Goliath was invoking the names of his gods in vain. He wasn't even really trusting in them. He was trusting in himself. So, Here's, here's the deal. The reason why, why David was able to defeat Goliath was because of the fact that he not only trusted in the living God, but he knew he was real. He, he relied on him. And, and, he, and, and we can do the same thing. When we have to face the giants in our lives, and we have to fight against a lot of giants, a lot of big decisions in life. And we will talk about that as well. How do we, if we've got a big, hairy problem in life, how do we deal with it with God's help? Well, we're going to really kind of answer that question right after this break. But call in, 888-914-9149. It's the Kale Clark Show, only on Relevant Radio. And we'll be right back after this. The 
Danielle Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program on this Wednesday. So glad to have you with me. 888-914-9149 is the number to call toll free to talk to me on this program. I haven't forgotten, as I promised, I will take you on a virtual tour of the Chicago Rat Hole. <laughs> You're thinking, why would I want to go to this place? Well, I'll explain later. Um, it's not to be missed. It's not to be missed, but that's coming up later in the program. We've already talked about David and Goliath, how to slay the Goliaths in your life. And sometimes it's easier said than done. We've got these big, hairy issues in life, these wild problems, if you will, decisions to make. And in this new year, a lot of you guys are contemplating making big changes, making resolution. By the way, I think today is known also as Quitter's Day. Did you know that? It's the 17th of January, and by now, most people have quit their New Year's resolution. So don't be a quitter. Uh, if you're thinking about making a big change, making a big move, maybe changing career, getting married, doing something different, um, how do you make the right decision? That, that's a very, very good question because there are some problems, some choices that we have to make in life where the answer is not super clear. Yeah, pray about it, number one, but... Uh, I read one, Now, yesterday I'd asked you guys what some of your favorite books of the year were, and if you didn't get a chance to call in and share what some of the favorite reads you had last year were, I talked about Elon Musk and, and the, the biography I'm reading about him by uh, Walter Isaacson, and we talked about miracles yesterday and how Musk really does not buy into the miraculous, or at least he didn't when he was a kid, dealt with the evidence for miracles yesterday. But you guys, if you didn't have a chance to call in, um, grab the phone right now. There's a couple lines open, 888 9149. But one of my favorite books of the last little while, and I mentioned it a few months ago too, I just love this book. It's a book called Wild Problems by Russ Roberts. And Russ Roberts is the uh, very popular host of the excellent Econ Talk uh, podcast. He's an economist, but not every decision can be made like an economist might make a decision using numbers, data. Some decisions just kind of defy that. And uh, my friend um, Joel Miller, um, his really he has a really really good uh, book review Substack newsletter, which you should really subscribe to. It's called Miller's Book Review, and that's how I found out about a lot of the great books that I've read recently is through Joel Miller. And uh, he 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 did a great great review of Wild Problems by Russ Roberts, and it's 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 just it's just really amazing because there's some there's a really funny anecdote in the book about Charles Darwin, when Darwin was deciding whether or not he should get married. It's absolutely hilarious because, as Joel Miller says, sometimes when, you're, when you've got a big decision in life and, and you want to make the right call, the first thing you do is you start thinking about the upside. Okay, what are the potential benefits that I can get out of this? That's a good place to start. And then you want to sort of balance that with the downside. Make sure your downside is covered. What's the worst that can happen? I want to make sure that, you know, if the worst case scenario takes place, I'll, I'll still be all right. Okay. But no matter what, there are certain decisions where you can do all the cost-benefit analyses in the world, and you're still not going to be able to necessarily be any better off because you just don't know what the real costs and the real benefits might be if you make this decision. And so this is what Russ Roberts calls a wild problem, where, where it's an existential puzzle. Rational decision-making can't always give you the information that you need. So 
this is this is one of the one of the problems. Uh, this idea of, for for a lot of people, it's a, it's, a, it's a problem. You know, is God calling me to marriage? Is God calling me to the celibate life? Is God calling me to the religious life or whatever? That's, that's a big vocational decision that you have to think about and pray about it. Well. When Darwin, and by the way, I, I do not, this has nothing to do with his theory of evolution and all that sort of stuff, so just get that out of your head. But everybody knows who, who Darwin is, of course, and it's absolutely hilarious what Charles Darwin did when he was thinking about whether or not he should get married, and, I, and I'm sure his his uh, fiance found this very romantic. He decided to create a table with the positives and negatives in parallel columns. So I, I want to read this to you because this is from the book. This is just this is just great. He had a, he had a, a ledger that had the pluses of marriage potential, and the minuses of marriage. So okay, let me, let me give you the plus side here. So here, here here's what Darwin thought might be the benefits of marriage: companionship. He's got these all on the list here. Companionship, an object, and this is bizarre. Okay, this is Darwin here. Object to be played with, a step up from a dog. Really, I, I sure hope that your fiance did not catch wind of this, did not find this. The charms of music. I guess his fiance was a uh, a great musician. Maybe he could play the piano. Who knows? Another plus: female chit chat. Everybody needs some female chit chat. Having children to take care of you in your old age. All right. Okay. Uh, that seems kind of utilitarian. I'm only having kids because I need somebody to look after me when I'm you know, decrepit. Uh, another plus potential: maybe better health. Maybe better health if wife keeps you from working too obsessively <laughs> and then uh his last uh this is by the way the, the pluses of marriage is by far the shorter column the negatives are a lot longer i'll tell you what those are in a second the last plus plus potential plus of marriage for charles darwin would be someone to take care of the house apologies to all the ladies out there i know this is incredibly i know husbands can help too i know i know i know i know it, again this is darwin don't blame me but you can still call in if you want. You can rant. You can vent against Charles Darwin. 888 Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Okay, so here are the minuses, potential minuses of marriage according to Charles Darwin. Number one, I might have to leave London. Okay, that's where he's based at the time. Number two, loss of autonomy. I'm going to lose my freedom. Freedom, baby. Uh, number three, potential minus of marriage. No clever conversation with men in clubs. You know, so you can't go over to, um, you know, the country club and just kind of hang with the fellas and talk about the NFL playoffs, you know, witty banter. Uh, next one, potential minus of marriage, wasting time entertaining wife's relatives. Next one, wasting time visiting wife's relatives. Next one, expense of children. Children cost money. Um, they like... Nintendo switches and things that cost money. I don't want to do that. Um, yeah, this is this is this is, this, this guy sounds terrible, doesn't he? This is this is Charles Darwin here. Anxiety from children. Yeah, it's 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 true because it's somebody once gave me a great definition of parenting. It's a rose with thorns because it is it's 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 incredible. It's amazing, but there's also some pain involved for sure. Uh, another one: general general anxiety from family responsibility. No reading in the evening. No time for that. No time for that. You got to, you know, take care of stuff, tuck in the kids. And the last one is might have to get a real job to support family. <laughs> I love this. This is Charles Darwin's list of, of pluses and minuses uh, as he's making the decision whether or not 
to get married. Hilarious stuff. And this is in uh, Russ Roberts' book, uh, Wild Problems. Well, this certainly was a wild problem for Darwin. But, but as funny as that is, as funny as that is, and, and I must confess, I, in, in a previous relationship before I got married, before I met my wife, I never had to do this with, with Trish, by the way. I never had to, to do the ledger. I just knew I wanted to marry her. But, but other relationships, I did kind of do the, do the table. And uh, that was maybe a bad sign from the get-go. Anyways, but here, here's the ultimate problem here. There's, there's no, even if, he, can do the, he can come up with all the different reasons he wants to, but it's never going to work. Because Charles Darwin, the bachelor, he can never know what life as a married man is actually going to be like. So this list of pluses and minuses, as, as Joel Miller says, it's a kind of list that somebody who would make who's never been married before. When he's thinking about, okay, here's the potential pluses and negatives of marriage. Is this like really the best you can come up with? Uh, he has no access to the upside of the inner life of a married man. That's what Russ Roberts says. So he can only pretend to make a rational decision. The truth is he really doesn't know. This is, this is a wild problem. So this is what, like, there's just certain issues in life, certain, you know, big hairy problems in life that we just don't know really how it's going to work out in the end. And the data is not available at the front end of the calculation. As Joel Miller says, the unknowns outweigh the knowns. And by the way, even what you think you know, once you're on the other side of the decision, it all kind of goes out the window sometimes. It's totally irrelevant. Ask anybody 10 years after they got married or 10 years after having a child. Is, is there any way you could have pre-planned this, how it was going to go, how you thought it was going to go? Did this go exactly according to your imagination or specifications? Probably not. Probably not. And so you just don't know. And um, sometimes, as Miller puts it, you know, when he's reviewing this book, the, the, sometimes only what happens after you make the decision, that's what's going to flick the light switches. That's what's going to make the light bulbs go off. If you move to another city, if you start a business, um, if you start worshiping God in a serious way, if you decide to, to volunteer or, or do, do something major, adopt a child, you can only really know what, what it's going to be like once you actually start doing it. So, so as one of the, uh, the commenters said, well, okay, well, if you can't really know about some of these important decisions, you can't measure them. And even if you think you know what the right pluses and minuses are, those are misleading too. Well, how, how do you make a decision on these big issues that, that sort of defy number crunching and, and rationality in a certain way? Well, Russ Roberts says there's really six guidelines that you can pull up when you're trying to make a decision that's not so easy. It's a wild problem. So what do you do? He says don't use formulas. Don't, you, don't try to use calculus, heuristics, workarounds. Don't do it. Formulas, he says, are simple, but they're also a bug. They're a feature, but they're also a bug because life is complicated. So instead of a formula, what you need are practical guidelines. So there are six takeaways from this book that and I, I would totally recommend reading the book. It's a great book. Loved it. Um, but Joel Miller says, I took away six things. Number one, focus on flourishing. So when you're, when you're trying to make a decision and you're not sure what to do, you're trying to run the cost-benefit analysis, you're trying to optimize your outcome, you really, there's certain problems where you don't know all the variables. So Russ Roberts says the best spouse, 
doesn't really exist. The best career doesn't really exist. The best city doesn't really exist. There's no such thing. And it's not because they're hard to find. It's just not a meaningful concept. Um, so start, you got to stop thinking that way. Um, so the second thing is aspire to the good. So, so the first thing is try to focus on flourishing. If, will this decision help me to flourish as a human person? Uh, if you're a Catholic Christian, you might say, will this decision help me to become a saint, potentially? Um, we're all saints, potentially, but we need to be, become saints in actuality. We need to become canonizable saints. That's absolutely the call of our baptism, to become a saint, to help other people to become a saint. That's the bottom line. So the second thing is aspire to the good. Aspire to the good. What decision will help you grow in a healthy direction? Give some thought to what you desire to desire. So what, what are your aspirations really all about? Is, that, is this the way you're looking at life? Are you thinking when you make decisions, are they about, hey, will this help me to become a saint? Or are you thinking, mm, I'm doing this for money. Or I'm doing this for human glory, vain glory, or whatever the case may be. There, there are always human motives, right? And some human motives aren't necessarily bad motives, but what are you really aspiring to? And, and is this decision going to help you get what you really are after? And what are you really after? Think about what is, what is your desire? What are, what are you looking for out of life? Number three, practice what you desire. So let's say you want to become a saint. And you know you're not right now. Um, well, start trying. <laughs> I know this sounds sounds ridiculous, but it's a little bit like fake it till you make it. And, and you've probably all seen that viral YouTube video by Amy Cuddy where she talks about, hey, fake it till you make it. Um, she talks about power poses. She talks about how the body educates the mind. You, you, have to, you have to start acting as if you're doing it in order to actually do it. And it's true in anything. And... Joel Miller is a big music fan. He gives the example of Jimi Hendrix. The first time Jimi Hendrix picked up a guitar, it probably sounded pretty bad. You know, it didn't sound anything like him playing the Star Spangled Banner at Woodstock. But eventually he did. I mean, he shredded it, right? He was maybe the greatest of all time, arguably. But he had to start somewhere. And, and the same thing is true with us as we live our lives. As we try to become saints. We try to hit those notes of holiness, if you will. It's going to take some practice. And you got to start somewhere. So practice, practice, practice. Are you a practicing Catholic? You got to practice the faith in order to 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 perfect it. So that's uh, that's number three. Practice what you really desire. Number four, privilege your principles. This is a good one. This is a really really good one. If you have a decision to make, one of the heuristics you can use in making that decision is okay. If the if the if the cost benefit analysis isn't that clear. What's the decision that I could make that's going to cohere with my values, with my principles? And Russ Roberts says in the book, don't make trade-offs when it comes to your essence. Your essence. So if you find yourself in a spot where you might get a short-term gain, but you're going to compromise your values, you're going to compromise your integrity, it's never worth it. So it's always better to, to know up front and make those decisions ahead of time. This is what I'm about. This is what I'm not about. And know thyself and also know what, what God wants, what his commandments are. You know going into it, I'm not going to violate the commandments. I'm not going to violate the teachings of the church. I, th those are easy, no-brainer decisions. 
I'm thinking about doing this thing, but it would require me to break one of the Ten Commandments. Don't do it. It's a no-brainer. So that 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 takes a lot of the the, the questioning out of out of play. Don't do anything that's going to compromise your values, your integrity, the truth. So that's don't lose who you are, because this decision, as Russ Roberts says, hey, the rules are useful in maintaining who we are, but they're probably even more important in helping us become who we want to become. And that is hopefully a saint. Number five, number five, experiment, experiment. Why not try it out? If you're not sure what to do, why not pull a Robert Frost, if you will, and go with the road not taken? Go with the road not taken because, and uh, again, another interesting um, example by by uh, that Russ Roberts makes in the book. You don't know how how shoes feel by looking at them in the store. You got to try them on. You got to walk a mile in those shoes, and then you'll know. Oh man, these are super comfortable. This is great. It's a great fit. Sometimes you don't know what in life is going to be a great fit unless you actually try it out. So be a little bit more bold, be a little bit more courageous, be a little bit more uh, adventurous, experimental. And so sometimes you learn to do by doing, and sometimes you you learn what's good by actually experiencing it. So, hey, and if you're wrong, you can always kind of start again. And, and there's a new show on Relevant Radio, the Dave Duran Show, which is on Saturdays. You can check it out on the Relevant Radio app or any of our 200 and nearly 220 stations now across the United States. And Dave Durand, I remember he, he gave a talk to us um, at Relevant Radio a few months ago. And, and this is what he was saying. He was, he was talking about his kids and how he's like, listen, I want my kids to get out and experience life. I don't want them sitting in the house, you know, at, at 23 years old, living in their parents' basement. No, I'm going to kick them out because I want them to make choices. Oh, dad, what if I make the wrong choice? Well, then fine you start over again you but you've got to be willing to 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 experiment to go for it in life to seize the day carpe diem if you will and i'm not going to let my kids do that i'm not going to let my kids be afraid of life and so i thought that was a really really a really interesting piece of advice from dave duran and i'm sure he's got much much more uh gems like that on his saturday program on relevant radio so you're listening to the kale clark show right now on relevant radio triple eight nine one four Nine one four nine. Curious to know what you're thinking about this. Um, what maybe what your favorite book was of the year? This is definitely one of, one of mine. Wild Problems by Russ Roberts. And the last thing that we can get out of this is feel free to edit. And th- this kind of goes hand in hand with what we were just talking about. If we if we sort of make an experiment, if we sort of try something, and we realize it doesn't work. And, and sometimes I remember in, in school thinking, oh, I want to study this. And <laughs> In university, you start taking some classes on, you know, what are quantum calculus or something. It's like, no, this ain't me. This isn't working. So when you do an experiment and, and you figure out this is really working or this is not working, let's say you've made a wrong call. Let's say you made a mistake. Don't beat yourself up over it forever. And this is true in the spiritual life as well. The, the devil wants us to constantly beat ourselves up. Remember the time you did this? Remember that? You're a total sinner. You're a complete loser. You'll never become a saint. That is not God talking to you, folks. This is not the voice of the Holy Spirit. When we go to confession, we confess our sins. Jesus throws them in the sea of forgetfulness, the ocean of divine mercy. He remembers them no more. So the devil, of course, is the great accuser of the brethren, as the spirits, as the uh, the scripture says. He's like a prosecuting attorney. He's trying to uh, to. <laughs> 
show that you're guilty before the throne of God, but God has always said he's innocent because another prisoner has taken his place, and that's Jesus. All right. Anyway, so the bottom line is if you make a mistake, you make a wrong call, there are very few choices in life that are irrevocable. And um, sometimes things turn out differently than what we think. It's a learning experience. It's data. The only, the only real problem is if you, if you keep making the same mistake over and over and over and over again, you haven't learned the lesson. So there's an example in, in the book Roberts talks about living like an artist. Life is a book that you are writing and reading at the same time. It's the story of your life. And you can edit that if you think you can improve the story. You can, you can make a change. If things don't work out, so these are the wild problems of life. They, they don't necessarily have clear-cut answers, but this is kind of what makes life exciting in a, in a way, it, what's make, what makes it dramatic, what makes it thrilling. Um, we have free will, and this is the, the great, uh, you know, it's kind of scary at one level, but this is how we, we can become children of God. We're not robots of God. We're not optimist bots of God, as Elon Musk would, uh, has created the optimist bot. That's not how God made us. And uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit more tomorrow, too, on the Faith Explained show. God has not predestined some uh, to damnation, as some uh, erroneous theologians believe. No, God does not want anyone to perish. He wants us to make great choices, and the greatest choice of all is, of course, deciding to follow Jesus Christ. And that's what we hope that you'll do, and that's why Relevant Radio exists, to bring Christ to the world through the media. And uh, this particular bit of media that you're listening to right now, whether in podcast form, you might be listening on our podcast uh, section of our app, the new Relevant Radio app, or maybe you're listening live right now on one of our actual stations. You're in the car, you're at home. So glad to have you on board. This is the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, and we will be right back. And I, I hope you'll come back. Even after I say what I'm just about to say, I am going to take you on a virtual tour of the somewhat bizarre, but it's the latest tourist attraction in Chicago. It's the Chicago Rat Hole, and it has completely gone viral. I'll tell you why. Faith, facts, and fun. Hopefully that's a fun story. And we'll be right back, plus more, plus much, much more in your phone calls, 888-914-9149. It's Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Be right back. I ain't worried about it. This is The Kale Clark Show giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. I, I am kind of worried about something right now, actually. I know what the song says, but I am totally worried about this next segment because this show is about faith, facts, and fun. This is definitely a fact. I, I don't know if it's fun. I hope it's fun. Um, this is something that should worry all of us. There's something called the Chicago rat hole, <laughs> and it's not what you think. It's not what you think. Um, uh, Miranda Sinaceros, who's uh, sitting in with producer Jim Shaper today in the studio. Jim very kindly kind of let her have the big chair today. He's, he's still he's still here, but but Miranda was saying that you know she kind of wants to visit the Chicago Rat Hole. She's from uh, the beautiful state of Colorado. Um, I, I don't know if the Chicago Rat Hole is as impressive as um, the Rocky Mountains, but it, I don't know. I'll let you guys be the judge. So this is a story that went viral on social media over the last few days. And the Washington Post, Jonathan Edwards writing in the Washington Post, uh, has penned in that August publication uh, a story called Chicago Has a New Tourist Destination, The Rat Hole. The Rat Hole. And he talks about how there are all kinds of tourist attractions in the great city of Chicago. I love Chicago. The Bean, Millennium Park, Navy Pier, 
Wrigley Field, the Chicago Riverwalk. I mean, come on. This is just amazing stuff. Well, where people are mostly heading, though, this week has been to a suburb, kind of kind of a suburb, a residential neighborhood, uh, miles away from the Loop. And it's a sidewalk, a tree-lined sidewalk in a residential neighborhood. And that's where you will find the Chicago rat hole. So what this actually is, and I, I, I sort of, you know, in scrolling through social media, I, uh, I, did, I did hear a lot of people posting about the Chicago rat hole, and I kind of just kind of flicked on by, wasn't too concerned about it. I thought, is it an actual place where rats are congregating? Well, this is, a, this is an, imprint, an imprint in the concrete sidewalk. An imprint in concrete. Is that an imprint? I think I just made up a new word. Anyways, um, it's an imprint in the concrete sidewalk that has the shape of a rodent. That's what it is. And, and it's on a place called West Roscoe Street. And it's been there for decades. Now, why, it became famous this past week because a Chicago artist posted a photo of it on social media, on X, the platform formerly known as Twitter. And this post has been viewed well over 5 million times. And this has drawn hundreds of people to come to the actual actual site and check it out and take pictures and post those pictures on their own. So what is this thing? So the person who took the photo is a guy named Winslow Dumain. Winslow Dumain, who moved to Chicago in 2017. But he didn't even find out about the rat hole until last week. So on Saturday, he was going to the Roscoe Village neighborhood, and he was going to, he's an artist, and he was going to visit a shop that sells his artwork. And then a friend of his said, hey, hey, while you're in the neighborhood, you definitely want to check out the Chicago rat hole. And he's like, what are you talking about? So he went and started asking around, and he found it. And as soon as he saw it, he just started laughing. He was like, he said, quote, this is the perfect example of visual storytelling. You see it? And you can tell exactly what happened. And it's this thing that extends across all language barriers, end of quote. So he also said, look, if you showed this to somebody 500 years ago, they would be totally clear. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. 500 years in the future, yeah, they'll know exactly what happened. So he took a photo of the Chicago rat hole and posted it on X. Within an hour, it went viral. It's funny. It's animal related. Everybody just kind of falls for this sort of stuff. And this, this, this rodent imprint on the sidewalk has been there since, well, again, for decades. There's somebody that they interviewed who lives in the neighborhood, Cindy Nelson. Cindy Nelson uh, was interviewed by the Washington Post. She moved to the neighborhood in 1997, and apparently her neighbors were telling her this has been there since at least the early 90s. And what exactly is this thing? Where, where did it come from? Um, Apparently, years ago, years and years ago, there was a huge, old, and beautiful oak tree above where the imprint of the rat now is on the sidewalk. And what what it act, what it actually happened in all likelihood was in probably a squirrel fell out of that old oak tree, and while they were sort of paving the sidewalk, there was fresh cement there. The theory is the theory is that a squirrel fell out of the tree. Squirrels are rodents too, right? Fell out, they're just sort of more cuddly looking rats, I guess you could say. A squirrel fell out of the tree, fell into the fresh cement, splat, and made the impression that became known as the rat hole. And then the squirrel just kind of carried on to its business. Uh, that tree, that old beautiful oak tree, eventually got sick, was cut down. 
So now when people go there, all they see is the imprint of the rodent, and they're like, always scratching their heads. How in the world did this get here? What is this? Well, as the residents like to say, this is this is a very Chicago thing. This, The rat hole kind of embodies the spirit of the city. Why? Because Chicagoans can laugh at themselves. They have to deal with a lot of harsh things, the harsh climate. How cold is it in Chicago right now? It's, it's colder than the South Pole, pretty much. Um, Chicagoans are gritty. They're gritty. You know, when it comes to parking spots, always, they want to claim their dibs, right? Maybe this rat said, I got dibs on this sidewalk. This, this, this tree rat known as a squirrel said, I, I got dibs on this. I'm going to make my impression here. And as one uh, resident said of the neighborhood, that rat fell into that cement, brushed himself off, and then went to work. Just like a, a good, solid Chicagoan. At any rate, this is a, this is a hilarious story. It, it's completely gone viral. And hey, it's a fun story as well. Faith, Facts, and Fun. It's Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. 888 All right. Well, you know what? Today is also, not only do we have David and Goliath, but the actual feast day today is the feast day of St. Anthony. Now, it's not St. Anthony of Padua. Uh, his feast day is in June, I believe. And, and, um, I love talking about St. Anthony and Padua as well. People use them for lost items. I use them a lot for lost golf balls on the golf. He always comes through. I, I don't know. I always seem to find my ball. But um, he's so much more than that. He, he's really about finding lost souls. He's a great, great saint. But today's saint is a different St. Anthony, and it's St. Anthony of the Desert. And St. Anthony of the Desert really was the guy who got the monastic movement going. And um, it, it, it's... It, if you don't know about, about St. Anthony, it, it's, it's an incredible account of... Let me just tell you a quick story. A few years ago, I, um, I was visiting um, Steubenville, Ohio, and I had some meetings with the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, and I was uh, running the Faith Explained Institute, and we were talking about um, some potential ways to work together. And I had dinner with uh, Scott Hahn, who, Dr. Scott Hahn, of course, who runs the St. Paul Center uh, he's been a great guest on Relevant Radio before. You obviously know him through his books and all that stuff. Um, Dr. Han, some guys who work at the St. Paul Center, we're all kind of sitting around and we're, we're eating burgers and having something to eat. And I, and I said to Dr. Han, man, you know what? Of all your books, the one that I like the best is the one called Letter and Spirit. Letter and Spirit. And Scott Han said, man, somebody buy this guy a beer. Because <laughs> like, n- not many people necessarily would say that. But I loved this particular book. Now, Letter and Spirit came out in 2005. And, and as Han himself says in the introduction of that book, hey, if you read his popular books like Hail Holy Queen or The Lamb's Supper, you're going to think this book is a little bit of a departure. If you read his academic work, you're going to think this is a bit of a departure. But he, he sort of tried to combine those two worlds. And for me, it just really hit the sweet spot. I loved it. And it's all about the, the liturgy and scripture, how when we're at Mass... The Word of God goes from written text to living word. It really becomes a living word. And um, that's exactly, and, and he starts off the book really with, with a great anecdote about what happened to St. Anthony of the Desert. And if you don't know the story, you totally should because it is absolutely wild. So, St. Anthony of the Desert was, um, he actually was born into, before he became a monk, he was, he was, he was born into a very somewhat wealthy home, an upper-class home. Uh, he had a younger sister. They lived in southern Egypt. 
had a pretty good education. When he was 20 years old, unfortunately, his parents both passed away. And as this young man, he was left with this huge inheritance. And then he was like, oh, man, now I have to sort of manage this. He has, he has a massive inheritance, and he also has to care for his younger sister. Well, a few months later, he's sort of wondering what he should do. And um, six months, and this is, this is actually, and I'm going to read to you a little passage from The Life of St. Anthony, which was written by another saint, not to get too confusing here, but St. Athanasius, also one of the greatest saints ever in the church. He wrote this book called The Life of St. Anthony. And here's what he says. Not six months after the death of his parents, Anthony went, according to custom, to the Lord's house. He entered the church, and as it happened, the gospel was being read. So in other words, St. Anthony was late for Mass, as many of us can be sometimes. Sundays are hectic. Anyway, so he's late for Mass. He comes in while the gospel is being read. And he hears the Lord saying to the rich man, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Matthew 19, verse 21. And this is what it says. This is amazing. Listen to this. Anthony, as if the passage had been read on his account, went out immediately from the church and gave the possessions of his forefathers to the villagers. All the rest that was movable, he sold, and having got together much money, he gave it to the poor, reserving a little, however, for his sister's sake. So this is, this is pretty amazing. So he goes, he goes into the church. He's got this, what am I going to do with this inheritance? I'm kind of a trust fund kid. My parents are both passed away. It's kind of like Bruce Wayne, I guess you could say. And 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 like, what am I going to do? Should I become Batman? No, God has another plan for him. So he he listens to the gospel being read, and it's the Lord speaking to the quote unquote rich young ruler in the gospel. If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Now it's interesting because as Saint Athanas- as Saint Athanas- Athanasius says in his biography. Anthony heard those words as if Jesus was speaking to him personally, and he went out and did exactly that. And he just saved, he sold everything, sold the Ferrari, sold the mansion, gave it away. All the framed, you know, signed jerseys of, you know, Aaron Rodgers that were in his den or whatever, um, gave it all away, but he did keep some money back for his sister because he was responsible for her. But then he goes back into the church. I guess this is the next Sunday. And then he hears the gospel again. And the Lord says, do not be anxious about your life. And this is a reading from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Do not be anxious about your life. And it says he could stay no longer, but he went out and gave those things also to the poor. He henceforth devoted himself outside his house to discipline. So in other words, he went back and then, because he'd kind of held some stuff back and he'd kept some of the fortune, take, take care of his sister. Not a bad call. I mean, he's got good motives here. But then he goes back to church, goes back, hears the gospel being read, and Jesus says, don't be anxious about your life. And he took that to mean, you got to give it all away. You got to go, you, it's got to be complete. I'll take care of your sister. Don't worry about that. And so he immediately gives the rest of his fortune away. This is incredible. And then he goes out into the desert. And he essentially becomes the father of all, really all the desert fathers. And you, and you hear about these monasteries in Egypt. And, and, and this, him going to Mass, listening to what Jesus told him, and then obeying, it didn't just change his life. It changed human history. 
because it was the monks after the barbarian invasions later on the Roman Empire. It was it was the monks that kept culture and civilization and in many ways the faith alive uh, during those horrific dark times. So his simple act of obedience, listening to the word of God, and this happened at Mass. That's where scripture goes from written text to living word in the liturgy. Wow, how powerful is that? How incredibly powerful is that? So he lived in the desert, solitude, prayer, mortification. And that was his path. It's not for everybody. Most of us have to live in the middle of the world. But we still have to serve Christ just as, as, as intensely as he did. So he was attacked by the, by the devil in so many ways. And, and one of the things that the devil used to try to do is, is try to get him to second-guess things. And, and the devil would say things to him like, oh, think about all the good things you could have done with that money that you gave away. Man, you could have built hospitals. You could have been a philanthropist. But that's not what God wanted him to do, his unique vocation. Uh, he tempted him with all kinds of different things, boredom, laziness, even apparently appeared as a, as a temptress at one point, somehow to, in physical form to try to you know, tempt him out of, out of purity. And Anthony fought him off every single time. And uh, we need to keep fighting as well. So, hey, sometimes we're tempted with, with boredom. And, and hopefully that wasn't a temptation for you during the show. Hopefully it wasn't uh, tedious. And uh, I'm thankful that you took the time to spend with me during this hour. These hours just fly by, don't they? At least I hope they do. At least I hope they do. I'd rather you say, so soon then, at last. <laughs> but at last, we've come to the end of this hour of the Kale Clark Show. I will be back 23 hours. Actually, I won't be back. I will be back on Friday, but the great Brooke Taylor is going to be sitting in for me tomorrow on the Kale Clark Show. You won't want to miss that. But I will be back on the Faith Explained 1230 Central. Uh, don't miss it. We, we continue studying St. Paul's letter to the Romans. And i got some other fun stuff planned for you as well on that program. So that's The Faith Explained, 1230 Central. Listen to the podcast anytime, and I'll be back on The Kale Clark Show. Friday, Brooke Taylor will be in tomorrow night. Don't miss it. She's always great. And help people to find out about our shows. One of the best ways you can do that, if you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, leave us a rating and review. It helps people to discover the programs on Relevant Radio. And don't forget, sign up for the Fast for Life. Hashtag Fast for Life. Use it on social media and go to relevantradio.com slash fast. We're going to send you a wonderful booklet how you can explain the pro-life cause charitably and answer questions that people have. Thanks for sticking with me on The Kale Clark Show. Miranda Sinaceros and Jim Shaper produced. Patrick Kalog took your phone calls. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.